Namaste. Welcome to Call and Response Podcasts with Krishnadas, where he shares meaningful stories of his life on the path, of his Guru Maharaji, and integrating spiritual practice into our everyday lives. Call and Response Podcasts is an offering of the Kirtanwala Foundation. The foundation is dedicated to spreading the teachings of Neem Karoli Baba, a great spiritual teacher of India. If you are interested in supporting this podcast and the work of the foundation, please visit kirtanwalafoundation.org K-I-R-T-A-N-W-A-L-L-A-H foundation.org So practice, you got to do practice, I'm sorry, you just have to. With our eyes open and our hearts open. But through a practice, you're, you're, you get used to coming back from being gone. It's more like an ability to let go. The bottom line is that no matter what the issue is, no matter what the suffering is, the real pain is in the mind. Because that's how we're reacting to the physical, if there is physical issues. And if it's mental issues, it's also the way we react. And the only way to overcome or transcend or thin out or leave behind those reactions is to be able to invoke a deeper place within us. The presence of the love that lives within us in whatever form opens your heart to that. Counseling, therapy, talking, every other kind of assistance one can get, all, all they do is they help us to let go. And the greatest help that we can get is to train ourselves to release the stuff and move more deeply into our own hearts, into our own being. So, Maharaji always said, constant repetition of God's name, even without feelings of devotion, in anger or lethargy, brings out his grace. And once this is realized, then there's no misunderstanding about anything anymore. There's no true faith and true understanding arises. But to reach that point, now this is me, to reach that point where we actually have that experience, it takes some work on our path, on our part. We have to align ourselves first with the, the real intention to overcome suffering the intention to understand where it comes from and the practice to build up the, the internal muscles to be able to let go. You can't let go of something unless you have something else to hold on to. So we hold on to the repetition of the name and to eventually the realization that brings to us directly, to us, ourselves, within us, 
we hold on to that, and then it becomes easier to let go of the stuff. So, I guess that's the deal. See ya. Hi, Krishna does. Did Maharaji ever speak to unscrupulous teachers? And, well, let me, a little background. I received the teachings of yoga for the last three years from someone that I just found out was abusing their power as a teacher among my friends and other and colleagues in my sangha and i my work now is to separate the teaching from the teacher i think that's what i'm trying to do and what you just opened with is definitely something i can do but i don't just i've heard you speak about it before but i thought it was never going to happen to me so i didn't really pay attention so um, so the, your yoga teacher has been abusing his or her position as a teacher yeah. and power power well regardless of what kind of abuse it is if it's something that doesn't feel right to you yoga teachers are there's like 40 yoga studios on every block and go somewhere like starbucks else. you know go oh them. yeah no i'm i'm yeah i'm definitely going to yeah, myself <laughs> it's no reflection on you that it hurts it, that that you were part of that group. What do you want to know? You did the right thing. You left, so you leave those people to whatever they have to do. Some people find it hard to recognize abuse, and some people find abuse everywhere. So it's really up to you what what your experience is with the situation, how you feel about it, and whatever karmas this person has created they'll be living through that for a long time. So there's no reason for us to be angry because anger just destroys whatever we have to offer and whatever's in our own hearts. It's better to develop compassion. Compassion is not uh, making it okay, saying it was okay for that person to do that. It's recognizing that People who hurt other people are not only hurting other people, but they're hurting themselves. And they themselves will suffer terribly because everybody has to live through their karmas. There's no, there's no uh, slippage in that system, apparently. <laughs> so, but when we see how hard it is for us, to get through the day without having negative thoughts and angry thoughts and hurtful thoughts about ourselves and other people, we can begin to expand that understanding to see how hard it is for other people to, uh, to not hurt themselves and other people, and in doing so, creating more suffering for everybody. So then, you know, then your heart starts to soften a little bit. And, and you, don't, you don't create more karmas from your reactions. Somebody once said to me, the, the, 
The teaching of betrayal is trust. Wow. Wow. Really? Yeah. Wow. So let's think about that. Yeah. What does that mean? The teaching of betrayal is trust. That's the thing I don't want to lose. I'm a trusting person and I trusted this person and I don't want this experience to to change my heart for people. Don't let it. It's up to you. Okay. Right? So, but it's work you have to do. You can't just push it aside and let, oh, it'll calm down, it'll go away. No, it'll stay with you. Yeah. So you have to work with that. You have to, the metta practice, the loving kindness yes. meditation is yes. great for this. You know, you oh. offer that, but remember, you offer that to yourself as well, right? Yeah. yeah. You start with yourself and then you expand it to other people. And when you, when you start to offer it to this person, you'll notice your heart start to clench. Yeah. Yeah. So you stay with it for a little while. Don't push. Then come back to yourself, and then you go. You offer it to somebody who has always been on your side. Okay. You know, who's always been there for you, physically or not physically, but somebody who you truly trust completely, and who has always been. And you you start to offer that to them. And then your heart starts to get light again. Okay. And then. You, 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 you sit with that for a while, you experience that, and you allow that feeling to permeate and, and recognize it. And then you bring that other person to mind again, and then you watch your heart clench. Yeah. So after some time, maybe 20, 30, 40 years, yeah. <laughs> yeah. the heart won't clench. And that means you, 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 you've done it, you've overcome, you've learned the lesson of betrayal because somebody who doesn't have the issues won't be hurt by something like that like Maharaji <laughs> he used to say people come here and try to fool me he said I go on fooling the whole universe and people come here and think they can fool me <laughs> so he wasn't hurt by people's stupidity and people's uh, manipulative and people's greed and anger and all that stuff and he it, because he was, he's beyond that. But we, our job is to get down into the nitty gritty with that stuff and really clean it out of our hearts. Yeah. And then we can never be hurt. And we can deal with things more efficiently and th see things more clearly in the first place. Like if, who knows, if you were yeah. in a different state of mind, you might have taken one look at this guy and, and walked the other way in the first place. Yeah. You know, but yeah. you were attracted to something in him or her, some yeah. shine, something, and you wanted something from that situation. You wanted to be recognized, maybe. You wanted yeah. to become a part of something. All so of it. You be that's how we betray ourselves. <sighs> so the lesson of that betrayal is trust. Is learning wow. to trust oneself, right? So you you buried the things that you saw and you didn't want to see those things. You wanted something, so you overrode your whatever things you saw that you might not have overridden in a different situation. 
So the betrayal is your own betrayal, our own betrayal, and the trust is our own trust. So eventually you really thank this person for being an asshole. <laughs> teach, teaching you how to trust yourself. You'll see how all the different places in your own life where that behavior was functioning all the time under the surface and you never noticed it before. Yeah. You'll start to notice that and you'll get free of that. We'll all get free of that if we do this work, if we do the, if we do the practices and really have the right intention. So, good. Wow, you clarified so many things for me. And two of my favorite words of yours, gradually <laughs> and inevitably. So thank, thank you so much. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much. Oh, hi, Krishna Das. Do you remember me from like a month ago? My mom had passed away. You were very uh, helpful. I'm from Stony Brook. Remember we talking about Stony Brook? <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I've been doing much better. Thank you. And that really helped me when I spoke to you last time. I just wanted to ask you, though, sometimes I have, you know, I tend to, if I have like some different kind of pain problems, and I have them pretty much managed. And if I make a mistake and I do something that throws me off and I end up in pain again, because like I take, let's say, like I had to take a painkiller for something the doctor prescribed and it, it ended up hurting my stomach, then my stomach, I'll start obsessing that I made a mistake that I should have known better. And I'll sort of, you know, this obsession thing, and I know it makes it worse. Is there anything you can suggest to, you know, like, I don't know. I just, I hate when I start obsessing about when I make a mistake. I mean, I'm only human and these things happen as part of the human experience to make a mistake, but I get just so like tortured by the mistake that I make. Usually when it comes to something that causes me physical pain, I'm very sensitive and it's very easy for me to feel physical pain. You're also very uh, sensitive to the stories you tell yourself about all that. I mean, stories, if I take the, the stories wrong... stories you, you tell yourself about how you, you're just a human being, it's no, but you, underneath that you feel like you failed. Yeah, so I failed myself. the story myself. again is, I failed, I failed, I'm no good, I'll never do this right, this is terrible, I'm, I'm a bad person. It comes from a, a self-loathing underneath it all. Mm -hmm. These are all the stories we believe about ourselves, all the ways we subtly limit ourselves and, and, and hurt ourselves. Somebody else might say, oh, I screwed my stomach up. Next time I won't do that. And that'd be the end of it. But you go on and on about it in your own mind. So more practice, sit some more, learn to calm yourself down. Those are the moments when you need to calm down and let the thoughts go. Well, what about like if I'm still feeling the pain as a result of it? That's what it will make me keep doing it. Do you know what I mean? Sit down, let go. Pain there's many ways to work with pain, and I'm not an expert at that. Mm -hmm. But ultimately, there's every, when you're really strong in meditation, you recognize the object of awareness, which in this case is the pain, and you recognize it as not yourself. It's an object. It's an object, like, like something in the room. Like your body is an object also. It's not you. You oh. notice it. Oh, that's that. So eventually your center of gravity deepens. And when the, the, those objects of awareness arise that are unpleasant, 
they don't grab us the same way. They don't hurt the same way. You know, Maharaji and these great beings, they feel all the pain of all the beings in the universe. But because they, there's no ego, so to speak, left in those beings, there's, there's no one experiencing it. It's a whole different way of experiencing everything. So you're still very identified with your thoughts and your emotions and your feelings and the pain. And there's only one answer for that is sit more. We meditate and say sit. Meditate, repeat the name, do, do practice regularly. Because until you train yourself to let go of whatever arises in your, in your awareness, in your mind, so to speak, you'll, you'll constantly be re-digesting the same stuff over and over. And you can, it's a beautiful situation because it makes it really obvious when you're lost, when you're, when you're in dreamland, when you're not present. Oh, I'm this and that and this and that and that, all this stuff. You can't think yourself out of a prison that's made of thought. Every thought is the prison. Mm-hmm. You have to find out who you are and what you are. And that lies underneath your thoughts, underneath your, your, your emotions, and it lies underneath the stories you tell yourself unconsciously about yourself, about who you are, and what's acceptable and what's not, and what's good and bad, and all that stuff. Calm down. When you're in that, ah, just recognize you, that's what's happening, and go, wait a minute, and just breathe, let it go, again and again. I, I guess I, it's, I can apply it also because if I make other mistakes, I mean, that's the most thing I get worried about now because the whole thing with the pandemic, oh, I can't make a mistake with my health now because everything counts. Like, you can't make a mistake. So I'm the worst about that now, but if I make other mistakes, I probably would get like that too. So anytime I start obsessing about that I made a mistake, just go into the... Mm-hmm. Well, you'll, as you get quieter, as your thoughts get quieter and you, and you develop a little bit deeper center of gravity, so to speak, you'll start to see those programs running much more often than you think they're running. Yeah. And then you get to let go of them, which is good. So if we don't see these things, we can't let go. So okay. on one hand, even though pain is... is painful it's also a wake-up call for you because it's so clear and it grabs you so quickly and starts all that stuff going right so when you notice your yourself going ah then just go wait a minute you know i don't have to do that and breathe just come to your breath let your breath relax whatever fear it is you have whether it's covid or the atom bomb or mickey mouse (laughs) Just keep letting go. That's the idea. And that's why the repetition of the name is such a powerful practice, which is why Maharaji again and again and again encouraged us to do that. You don't have to believe it. You don't have to know what the names mean. You don't have to feel anything particularly good or bad or anything. Just do it. And do it when these things are happening. 
when you say like say the name, is it the same thing as if I'm listening to you chant? Is that the same thing as me saying the name? Is it equivalent to it? Yes and no. Yeah, mostly yes. Because you're hearing it. And even if you're repeating it, where is it really happening? In, in your mind, right? But you're using your body. But it's happening in your mind. So when you're listening to it, you're hearing it inside of you, in your mind, which is, which is great. The only thing is you don't want to, uh, you want to try to keep, be, you want to really give yourself to the practice. Let's put it that way. Just rock out. Turn the music up and dance. Do whatever you have to do to overcome the going here, the going there, the past, the future, all that stuff. Yes, it's perfectly fine to do that. And, and that whole practice will, will, will deepen and widen and become much more natural for you as time goes on. I still don't have, I don't know all the names. Let me say, say the names. I don't even know what they are. I, I might listen to you all on Thursday nights and I do. Yeah, that's all name. Everything there is name. Ram, Krishna, Hari, Shiva, Om Namah Shivaya. Those are, that's all name. Okay. Japa of the names of God, so they say. Whether it's God or the names of your true nature, uh, there's no difference. So, yeah, sure. It's perfectly fine. Eventually, you'll probably get familiar enough that, you know, sometime you'll be walking from the living room to the kitchen and you'll, you'll, you'll hear it in your head. And you'll go, where did that come from? So when you hear it like that, you'll stay with it for a minute and then it'll disappear. But it starts coming back and the practice will pull you gently into yourself as time goes on. So, very good. Thank you. Thank yeah, you so sure. much. Take care. Hi, Krishna Das. You can't see me because my camera is broken. I'm so sorry. That's okay. Here's my question. It kind of piggybacks on what they were saying as well. So I'm going to try to make it a very long story short. A few years ago, I took Kundalini yoga training as by Yogi Bhajan. And I felt very drawn to do it because I had health issues come up again. I'm from New York too. Like I had moved to California. I'd like health issues. It felt like it would help me with that. I had lost my dog. I don't know. I just was drawn to it. I liked the teacher I had, so I, I trusted him. So I took it. And in the beginning of the training, I got mugged at gunpoint going to the training that morning at like 630 in the morning. Not by the teacher? Not by the teacher. Oh. By a, <laughs> Thank God. Stranger. And in that same period, I had like a situation where my father had this abusive girlfriends. Just a lot of stuff happened at that one time. Now, especially with all the allegations coming out about Yogi Bhajan, I just feel like that whole period kind of created this intense PTSD sort of mess in my life and like took me away from myself. I think what I'm, I'm trying to come back to it now, mm -hmm. which is a return to me to, to, I also play music, like the things I do, playing music, more hatha, which I started 20 years ago, chanting just more with you and that kind of stuff. And I, I guess I just was asking if, because I know you ha had said once that you were in a cult for a couple of years, I realized that this was like a cult-ish situation and then also just going through the trauma. I did take a training after it with a teacher who 
I'm really glad I trained with because I had so much anxiety from everything I had gone through. And she was a Ram Dass student. And also, I, I think also with you, had studied with you online. Um, that felt much more grounding to me, much more. Like I would leave Kundalini and feel weird anyway. So it just felt much better and much more grounded. So I'm not sorry about that. But anyway, I just feel like all of that was just so much to handle. And, and now, especially in COVID and everything, I just feel like I'm sort of in this moment of my life where I'm, I've come out of that and I'm trying to figure out what's forward. And I also was going to say, I, I do come Thursdays and I also listen to, I meditate and I, I like seeing Neem Karoli Baba. Oh, hi. I don't know. So I don't know what that is. And I just wondered if you had advice on it, all of this. Yeah. I don't know if it's advice, but certainly trust your own heart. That's the thing. That's the, that's, that's the teaching of the whole path. Yeah. And like I was just speaking before, the lessons of betrayal is trust. Yeah. The lesson of betrayal is trust. And betrayal can also mean not getting what you wanted or not getting what you thought you were going to get for whatever reason. So what you have to learn to do is trust your own heart and stay with that and relax into that. It sounds like you're doing good, actually. It sounds like you've had difficult stuff happen in your life, but that it hasn't destroyed you and that you're, you still know what feels right for you. And you're, yeah. you're, you're finding, you're uncovering even more deeply what feels right for you. And that's a great thing. And it's a rare thing too. It's not so easy for people to, to be in touch with, with their intuition. And it sounds to me like you are. So I just think you need to relax and let, the, let life come to you and let, let it just go through you. You know, I think it feels like you're, you're coming through these difficulties very well, actually. Okay, well, and you should good. trust yourself about what feels right to you and what doesn't. That's okay. all I'm going to say about that. Yeah. But, yeah, you know, distress and anxiety, especially in these days, is the norm. Okay? Mm-hmm. Whether it's official PTSD or not, everybody is suffering from tremendous amounts of fear and anxiety. Yeah. So welcome to the human race. That's the deal right now. And not just us here, everywhere in the world it's like this. It's really unusual for, us, for this planet at this point. So it's reasonable to feel some of that, but it's not required to let it destroy you. Yeah. And it seems like you're, even though, even though the lotus grows through the mud, it sits at the top of the lake, right? Mm-hmm. And that's where your intuition is. And that's, that's where you have to keep refocusing about trusting yourself and having faith in yourself and confidence. And I think everything will be cool. Yeah. Thank you so much. Yeah. Very Definitely good. brings you back to yourself. You've got to trust yourself. Yeah, absolutely. You have to. Who else are you going to trust? Right. Even if somebody outside of you, somebody else tells you something, and you go, that's fucked up. You're trusting yourself. And if you say, wow, that was fantastic. I'm going to do that. You're trusting yourself. So mm-hmm. it's not what happens outside. It's how you feel about what's happening. That's what you, we, we all need to learn to trust more deeply than we do. 
for sure. And sounds good. Thank you so much for everything. Okay, thanks. Hi, how you doing? Doing well. I, I want to first. I just want to say how grateful I am. I have a two and a half year old son, and his mother had decided, you know, to to do some things that caused me to get emergency custody of him. So, in the long and short, we've been in the middle of a court thing for about three years, and I had offered. She had gotten involved with somebody who was abusive and beating her. She refused to leave. She went to jail, used drugs, so on and so forth. And just things. And I made an offer to try to settle this outside of trial because if we go to trial, there's going to be a lot of things that I'm going to have to bring to the light that I feel like will be hurtful, but they will be true. So my question really, that's just a backstory. My question really is based around karma and do no harm. Extremely conflicted, like with that, because I don't want to hurt her, but I also want to keep my son in a safe and wholesome environment. And so I struggle in that area quite a bit, and it ebbs and flows. And since I started doing the Chalisa, I've found I've become pretty detached from like it used to be here, here, you know, and now it's a little bit over here, and I'm kind of just like watching it, but it still has quite the effect, and the question still poses. From time to time, like, is this the right thing to do? Do I just get out of the way? Am I trying? Am I trying to control this thing, or should I just let it happen? So I just wondered if you had any insight that could maybe help me let go, I guess, and 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 whatnot. And then, you know, so as long as you feel that what you're doing that the motivation for doing what you're doing is clean and, and based on compassion and caring for your son, then you should go ahead and fight to the, to the bitter end, if necessary. Mm -hmm. And you'll probably be helping your wife to deal with the issues that she has that keeps creating terrible things in her life. So if, if she has to deal with this and recognize that that she's responsible for the situation. Right now, she doesn't seem to be taking any responsibility. So your son's life is at stake, and his, his very important time for young children to have love and caring around them. I'm not saying she doesn't love him, but anyone who would bring in an abusive drug taker and have him around the child that's not a very, that's not, that's not right. That's not the, a good thing to be doing. So, yeah, read the Bhagavad Gita, get your weapons together and use them. Right. And not, love everyone and tell the truth. Right, yeah. right. And yeah, and I've so, heard that said. You don't, have to, you don't have to hate her to, to go through this process. But you need to protect your son. And, and do what's, what you feel is the right thing to do. Well, and that's another aspect of the, the other things is, is that I deal with intermittent resentment. <laughs> yeah, sure. You, you're no. a human being. Yeah, you should. <laughs> that's okay. You notice it and you let it go. Those are normal, natural feelings. I mean, who wouldn't be angry about somebody who's about that situation? But also you recognize you had a kid with this person. 
So you're also a part of the, of the you, you also share responsibility for the whole picture. So resentment, you should have some for yourself too, for that part of you that allowed yourself to get into that situation. Maybe you weren't in the same state of mind that you're now, but that's okay, it's still you. So you're a co, whatever, you're co-responsible for this along with your wife and everybody else who's around. So do your best. Now, the kicker is this. You do what you do, but the fruits of your actions, the results of your actions are not up to you. So you can go to court with all your weapons and all your knowing that you're in the right, and you could still not get the judgment you want. So, recognize everybody in this situation has their own karmas, and we don't know what that is. Your son, your ex-wife, her boyfriend, you, everybody has their own karmas involved. So, the results of all this in this life were not it's not up to us. What's up to us is do the best we can in the situation, the best we can do. That's all you can do. Leave it to Maharaji and right. do, do more chilises. <laughs> so, so I just have one, one, one other quick question I'm going to ask you. She, was, she asks me all the time, did, did Maharaji do that? Did Maharaji do that? Can I do see Maharaji? Just any particular thing, like the main thing was, did Maharaji bring us together? is the most oh, frequent hi. question that she asks me. Hi. <laughs> hi, I'm stuck. <laughs> <laughs> I think, uh, okay, I just met you and Maharaji through Justin, through Chance of a Lifetime. And I really believe that Maharaji brought this whole thing together. He, so I could, so I could be with him and meet him and, I, I really believe that in my heart. So is that real or am I losing my mind? <laughs> because I read in there where, you know, like he, uh, like it was your destined to be there. Like he brought you over so you could learn to sing and chant and stuff and then come back and teach us. Mm -hmm. like, I, like I'm able to meet him through you. Anyway, I don't know. It's just so beautiful. I, I don't even know what my question is. Well, one he's thing, actively working in my life. Is that what he's doing? Yeah. Well, one thing you can say without any doubt is that it, it happened, right? Yeah. Who did it, whether you did it or he did it or, or somebody else did it, is that it did happen. So more than that, we really can't know. We, can, we, can, we can trust that. We could say Maharaji did it. God forbid you guys break up. Did he do that too? Well, I think that it's not, it's not so much as the relationship is what I'm talking about. I just uh -huh. think that this was my way to meet him, to Maharaji. For sure. To meet Maharaji. If it, if it happened, of course it was. You know, there's no <laughs> doubt that it happened that way. But uh, there's a, you know, they used to say in India, the, the Indians used to have a phrase, he gets his own work done. In Hindi, uh, you know, he, he does his own work. He doesn't need anybody. He didn't need me to turn him on to get to you. Ah. That's what I mean. It, you know, it, you have your own relationship with it directly. Yeah. And 
if this has happened, if you're feeling his presence, that's, that's between you and him. Okay. You didn't need, it, it may look like this had to happen for that to happen. But oh. that's, ju that's just this. It happened. There he is. He's there. So say hi and give him a kiss and good night, you know? <laughs> okay. Thank right. you. Yeah, yeah. Okay. I'm glad to meet you. You too. And you take good care and I hope it works out with your son. Thank you. Namaste. Yeah. Okay. So I have uh, something I've been wanting to ask your opinion about for a while and I've held back. <laughs> <laughs> I have lots of opinions. I don't know if there's any truth to any of them, but there are and, lots and, of opinions. And a bit of it is a bit of it is a bit nosy, and a bit of it's a bit related to the general thing, and a bit about me. So I should probably just get on with it. Or it's, I guess the general theme is romantic relationships and what. <laughs> okay, so the nosy bit is what you have felt you've. I'm trying not to say gained what you felt you have learned through romantic relationships yourself in terms of not just the practice but for life and so that's that's me being nosy about you and then where I'm at is having great longing like I guess most people do for that kind of connection and I can sort of manage that and trying not to force anything and sort of when things can happen naturally. But what I have found was, and this is something I was quite interested to get your um, perspective on, when I have been, and I'm using the word romantic in, uh, because I don't know the other word to use for it, so just you know, in, in partnership, if we can You're say right. it's going to be. What I have found is when I have felt, again, for want of better language, real connection with somebody, I've actually felt that's quite healthy in terms of how it affects the rest of my life it feels so my practice feels healthier if we, you know, um, and work feels healthier and, and what have you and when when there isn't that connection I feel that I'm close to maybe drawing on expecting maybe a bit more from practice or the sort of longing then has a ripple effect and effect on other things and it can be really difficult to sort of manage that energetically. And I don't know what the specific question is, but if there's any insight on that, and, and also, do you, is this just something you, you live with, or are there things to deal with that longing? I know it's a need, and I know some of it's from conditioning, but as I say, that the sort of interesting element is I do find that being in that kind of union with somebody does feel healthy and makes life more balanced but I don't know is that a, is that a, a delusion and what do you do when you don't have it <laughs> yeah well that's the point isn't it what do you do when you don't have it if you're dependent on anything to make you happy anything outside of yourself what are you going to do when when it's not there so you know Mr. Tuari my my Indian father he said relationships are business he said, do your business, enjoy. And he didn't say, don't do it. He said, do it, enjoy your, but he said, but love? He said, love lasts 24 hours a day, 365 days a year. It's not something you get from someone else, real love. You get relationship, you get friendship, you get kindness, you get 
so many things from relationships that teach us a lot about ourselves yeah. and help us become better person, people, hopefully. But if we, if we become dependent on having that person there to push those buttons to make us feel okay, what are we going to do when that person's not there? Because that time will come, one way or another. Mm-hmm. It's inevitable. So that doesn't mean you don't enjoy your relationships and, and give yourself to it as fully as you can. But, you know, if you expect water to come from a stone, your hands would be broken trying to squeeze that stone to get the water out. So if you expect love, real love, which is reality, which is God, if you expect that to come from a relationship, how can it? The reason it comes from a relationship with a guru or with a deity is that's what they are. They are that love. But usually we find people who are not exactly that all the time. Like we are not exactly that all the time. So it's perfectly reasonable. So if you feel good in relationship, that's fine, you know. But the more practice you do, the more you move more deeply inside of yourself, you become less needful of having other people there to get you those kind of feelings. So there's nothing wrong with it, you know. It just doesn't necessarily work the way we want it to all the time. Or all the time, it doesn't work the way we want it. (laughs) But we can learn a lot from that if we're paying attention. Because that's the other point of relation. We're in relation to everything. Mm -hmm. To everyone in our lives, to everyone on the planet, to the sun, the moon, and the stars, we're in relationship to everything, all the time. So part of, part of finding ourselves is recognizing who we are in all these relationships. So It, it feels like if, if someone is there that you can be close to, but for me anyway, it, it, I have a healthier relationship to practice it sort of keeps me a bit in check. And, and I have seen it in people around me, but the last thing I want to do is start being judgmental. But hey, I'm, I'm going to sound a bit judgmental. I've seen it in myself and people around me. You can get... Practice can become something almost too clingy to, whereas having something maybe a little... Not lighter, but does that make sense? So that you don't, you're not just focusing on your energy, deepening my practice. And my even saying my practice feels very attached. Like, I don't, I don't. it's better to be attached to something that's going to make you really happy than attached <laughs> okay. to something who's going to fucking kill you. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah being there. <laughs> yeah. So you have to find what works for you in life. Nobody can find that for you. Yeah, a lot of people talk about this and that and their practice and their this and their that. Well, fine, let them talk. But you have to figure out what's going to work for you. You you can't sit down right now and merge with the universe completely. So I wouldn't worry about that you're too attached to practice. And in fact, if you get real happiness from sitting down and and also, practice just doesn't mean just sitting down. 
Mm. It means treating people well, mm. caring about people, not judging people, loving those idiots who talk about their practice all the time. <laughs> you know, when you can do that, you know that whatever practice you're doing is bringing the right kind of fruit. But you shouldn't feel that relationships are, are a detour from practice. Everything in your life is there because it's supposed to be there. And what's going to come is going to come because it's, it's, it's due to you karmically. What's not going to come is not going to come. So there's no reason to worry about it. So be present in the moment and, and, and develop, become a good human being, you know? And don't think about yourself so much. Yeah. You know, because that's, that's just the ego polishing itself up, even if it's throwing dirt on itself, which it does half the time. When it's not polishing itself up, it's just doing dirt. It's the same thing. More ego stuff. The love that you're looking for lives within you as who you are. And when you find that, you'll find it everywhere. And until we find that, we're, we're on the path towards that. So whatever brings you closer to yourself, that's, that's what you should do. And only you know what that is. Nobody can tell you. And, you know, Maharaji was married. He had three children. Didn't seem to stop him. So, but that was the karma of that body. You don't know, we don't know what our karmas are until they arise in the moment. So, Ramana Maharshi said, what's going to happen, what's going to happen is going to happen. What's not going to happen is not going to happen. So, the best course is to just remain in the present moment, in the silence of the heart. So, but can we do that? No, because we're hungry. Mm. So mm. you have to recognize those hungers and try to provide food for yourself. If you eat the wrong food, you get sick. If you eat the right food, it feels good. So you have to find how to feed yourself. I think that's part of the issue here. Yeah. I wouldn't worry about you're doing too much practice, you're too attached to the practice. You should be, you know, what, what's, what's, it should only be like that, that you're too attached to practice. That's all I can say. But okay. you're not, because, because you're not. So <laughs> don't worry about it. Okay. But, but, what, but find a way to, I mean, there's a lot of issues when we, when we start talking about what we need in our lives. There's cultural issues, there's how we were brought up, yeah. which affects so deeply how we feel about ourselves and what's possible for us, yeah. what we are going to allow. Not what's possible in terms of karmically, but what can we allow ourselves to do yeah. and to be. We're very constricted by our cultural upbringing. Yeah. It causes a lot of pain. So but the quieter you get, yeah you'll notice that more and then you'll be able to overcome it and let go of it more. So everything you do, you'll be doing it. So there's really nothing to worry about. You just have to learn how to trust yourself more and go for it. Whatever it is, go for it. That's all. Don't, don't, don't piss around 10%. Go 110% for what you want. 
If it turns out that that wasn't it, then you go 120% for the next thing. Mm -hmm. There's no, there's nobody keeping score except you. Mm -hmm. So, you know, just try to free yourself from from the things that that we do to prevent ourselves from really being happy, because we're so good at it. We're so good at preventing ourselves. So. Okay. Yeah. Thank you. Nice to meet you. Hello, Krishna Das. Hey, how you doing? Good. You're looking well. Thank you. In the book, Love Everyone, there's a mention of a time when Maharaji went, as they say in Australia, on walkabout, going around the highways and byways of India, meeting people, having experiences. And my impression is he was doing it in order to be able to understand the lives of ordinary people better and i may have been completely wrong but that is my question yeah did he ever talk wrong, about right? those experiences i'm, I'm i mean yes. when he dis when he want when he disappeared from people and just was cruising around oh uh, yeah there, there's a line in uh this prayer called the binaya chalisa binaya means to uh petition someone uh -huh. okay to beg basically <laughs> that says you wander about like a god satisfying the needs of those you meet Oh, okay. That's what he did. He didn't need to figure anything out. He, he'd already become it all. <laughs> I, I had that impression. Yeah, yeah, so his only job was to distribute blessings wherever he went, ah. which is what he did. Okay. Yeah. I, I was sort of um, pre-programmed because I'm a huge fan of people like John Steinbeck and Jack Kerouac, you know, who, who traveled around for the experience of learning. Yeah, but I I was pretty sure it wasn't the same for Maharaji, but might as well ask and find out one way or the other. So. Yeah, no, nothing that applies to the behavior of human beings can be applied to him. Absolutely, <laughs> he had no motive other than ultimate compassion. Mm. He traveled only to distribute alms to people, mm -hmm. only to relieve suffering, to take the burden off of people. Mm -hmm. Everyone he met got blessed. Mm. Well, there's no. He had no needs, not to learn, not to, to grow. He'd already done all that. So. Well, if I had one wish, I wish there were more like him, as selfless as he was, who didn't try and commercialize it or weaponize it, or he just did it for the sheer goodness of it and because it was the right thing to do. So well, I guess that's why yeah. so many people are drawn to him. Well, you can become one of those people. Working. Thank you very much. Okay. So yeah. mm -hmm. now what? I don't mean to sound. I know I've heard you speak before about it. Really has to do with what's in your heart and being really present and really into chanting or praying or connection with um, spirit and God. But I I have noticed that a lot of your songs and chants are in here, but not in, in its entirety, except for maybe the Chalisa. And I'm struggling with actually how to incorporate this into a practice. Mostly I catch myself feeling foolish <laughs> in, in stumbling through words and then um, just feeling kind of rudderless, you know? I'm really not sure what you're asking, but 
I know, right? Oh. I wrote it down. Let me see if I can get to the actual question. <laughs> I would like to incorporate these into my practice, but I'm not sure how to. And I would like to learn more, but I'm unsure where to go for direction or guidance. One of the reason that so many of the things I do are in that book is that Sidima asked Mr. Tuari to put the book together. So he made the first version of that book. He picked the prayers and stuff for the first compilation of prayers to be done in the temple every day. So mm -hmm. since I learned so much from him, a lot of the same stuff that I do is already is in that book. Over the years, they added other things as well. So every day and twice a day in the temple, they read that whole book. And they chant that whole book in Sanskrit or Hindi. And it's a very powerful practice. But they know what they're chanting. You don't. Mm -hmm. So read the translations which are in there. Mm -hmm. That's why that book was made with English. Mm -hmm. So if you want to make that a part of your practice, I would pick a couple of the different prayers that appeal mm -hmm. to you and read them every day as part of your practice. The English. Don't try to... You can't learn Sanskrit from a book. So... So I would definitely, and that way you get the benefit of the meaning of the chants, which are very powerful, and it'll help you develop the devotional concepts in the mind, which is what we don't have as Westerners. Mm -hmm. um, and if you want to read something else, you could try to find the Ramcharitamanas, which is the Ramayana of Tulsidas. Have you heard about, okay. ever heard of that? I've heard you mention it. Yeah. Um, so... It's, there's actually a PDF you can get free online. You can find that. But maybe before you read that, why don't you try to find a book? It's called The Ramayana by William Buck. So you get an idea of the basic story of, of before going to the, the Tulsidas, which is a devotional take on the story. It's very different than the actual, not different than the story, but it, it, it's told in a different way. So read okay. the one by Buck so you get mm -hmm. a good version of the story. Okay. And, and then go back and read the, the Tulsi Das. And okay. in the meantime, the Hanuman Chalisa is in that prayer book that you have. So mm -hmm. that's a good thing to read once a day or twice a day. Mm -hmm. And yeah, so see what appeals to you and just add it to your practice. Don't, like I said, don't try to, don't obsess about trying to pronounce all those prayers correctly. It's very difficult. So it's best to have an idea what they are. Absolutely. I appreciate that. Yeah. Thank you okay. so much. Thank you. Yeah. How you doing, KD? Okay. How are you? Very good. Thanks. My question has to do with something that I believe is a Ramdas story, actually. I think that the way it goes, and correct me if I'm wrong, is that he was with Maharaji and there was some issue in a city nearby and there was i don't know i'm not sure exactly what there was uh starvation there was maybe some death there was yeah. you mean so in, you know in uh bangladesh okay so you're familiar with this story why no. why did he say when, when ramdas was trying to go help you know why why was maharaji saying you know kind of like indifferently don't you see it's so perfect type of thing? I don't think anything Maharaji ever said was indifferent. 
Okay, so maybe that was the wrong word. What, what was his response? Was his response like a? Can't you see it's so perfect? It is. Okay, so then can can you expand on that first? Like, what did he mean by that? I can't expand on it. It's something he said. It's perfect the way it is. And, okay, but and it was not probably wouldn't be in Ramdas's best interest to go there either. So he he prevented that from happening. I see. There's no way to understand why Maharaja did anything or did not do anything. Okay. The mind can't go there. He okay. sees everything. And he knows the past, the present, and the future of every being in the universe. So if he says something, it means because that's the way it is. Whether we can understand it or not, is, there's no doubt. We can understand it. We can only either accept it or not accept it, according to how we feel. But the you use the word indifferent as if it meant he didn't feel for those people. That's not, couldn't be the case. It's not possible. Since okay. the only reason he was here is compassion in the first place. For everybody. Okay. So whatever the reason was, it wasn't in the best interest of anybody for Ramdas to try to drive there with the Volkswagen bus, which is what he wanted to do. Yes, yeah, so Ramdas wanted to do that. And Maharaji's response was... Say, really speaking to it being as it is. Things are as they are, and they're perfect as they are. There's a reason the way things are. And Ramdas's emotional desire to go help at that point was not the best, in the best interest of anybody. That's so, all you can say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, I get it now. So like the way the way he had that his response was still, I, you know, I don't want to like interpret his response the wrong way. Yeah. It wasn't that he didn't care at all about because he cares about everybody. Obviously, he's Maharaj, but yeah. his response was more so to get Ramdas to reconsider going there. That's one interpretation. You and I, we could make a million interpretations of it, and we'll never know exactly why Maharaj said that. I mean, let's okay. Okay. So make one that makes you happy and live with that. <laughs> <laughs> it's, not, it's not so much that I, I, it was just a confusing thing. Like it, that, that story and his response to that made me, it made me wonder. There's a lot of confusing things, things that the mind cannot wrap itself around. There was a couple there who had been together a long time and they wanted to get married. So they asked Maharaji to marry them. And he said, no, Krishnadas will marry you. I went, what? So, you know, I thought, what, is he kidding? So a couple of days later, we stood out in front of the Hanuman temple, and I said a few prayers, and, okay, you're married. So shortly after that, they left India, went back to New York. And then after some years, the guy started to get sick, and he developed... Uh, a very bad disease, and he, he needed a heart and lung transplant. And his wife, who now was his ex-wife, but she developed cancer, and she fought it for seven years. And their son, so, so the first thing that happened, the, the, the guy died, Six months later, their son died of an accidental overdose of heroin. And six months later, the mother died. So within a year, all three of those people died. 
And I remembered Maharaji not marrying them. Yeah. And I thought, he did that on purpose. He did not change their karma. He, he by not marrying them, he made the, dis- the, the decision, if you could even say that, he allowed those karmas to unwind and come to fruition by themselves and then I'm sure he did whatever he could do to make it as easy as possible. But obviously there was a lot of suffering there. So, but he could have changed that because he could do anything. But he didn't. Not that he couldn't. He didn't. And if he didn't, there was a reason for that. And whatever reason it was, it was compassion for them. So it looked pretty bad. They suffered. They all died. But in some way... We can't understand it, but in some way, my feeling is that that was what was best for them. That they worked out whatever karmas those were, they had to be lived through. They couldn't be avoided. And the best thing for them was to have to go through that in this life and get it finished with. So he allowed that to happen. I can't explain that to anybody. And in fact, I had to take it out of the book, Chance of a Lifetime, that I wrote, because the editor couldn't understand that story. I, told, I tried everything I could to try to explain it to the editor. But I realized I couldn't explain it to them, so I might as well take it out, because when you really know something, you can explain it. So since I don't really know, I couldn't explain it. But I understand. My, but it's my belief from having been around Maharaji and having seen the things that happen, that this was the best thing, this was what was required for them, let's put it that way, in order to move on. Of course, this, 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 this is based on reincarnation, which obviously he lived in that reality. So, Yeah, that's so, that's so interesting. You know? And it would almost, almost make you wonder like, what, why he would not necessarily put the burden on you of marrying them. It's not your Nothing's your fault, but, you know... Because, you know, there was no burden. I couldn't marry them. I couldn't do anything for their karmas. It was just, it was just for fun. Yeah, you, you, don't, you don't feel any, like, attachment or, or you know, sympathy. or it's, it's out of your control. You just were there. Yeah, I have, just did what he said. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't... I, I can't bless anybody. I couldn't even bless my own foot. <laughs> uh, you're funny. No, I appreciate you explaining But I'll that. tell you, here's a funny thing, okay? There's more to that story, so... Some years later, in the 80s, we had met a young Baba in India, a very beautiful young Baba. And we brought him over to America. And we got to the house where he was going to stay. And when we got to the house, the woman whose house it was told this Baba about this, this guy that I told you about, whose name was Ed, Sudama. Maharaji had named him Sudama. And so the Baba looked at me and said, tomorrow morning, we're going to go visit this guy. We called him, let him know we were coming. We drove into Queens and we knocked on the door. It took him 20 minutes to crawl to the door. He couldn't breathe. He needed a heart and a lung transplant. I mean, he, it was horrible. So we came in and the Baba sat on the couch and me and, and Sudama sat on the floor and the Baba asked me to sing Hanuman Chalisa. 
So I sang Hanuman Chalisa, and Ed was mouthing the words because he couldn't breathe. But Sudama was mouthing the words. And we sat there for a little while, and then me and the Baba left. Later that day, Sudama called me, and he thanked me for coming. And he said that he felt Maharaji had come back to him after so many years of feeling lost. And the next morning, he was dead. Wow. Wow. That's intense. Yeah. So, now, Maharaji named this guy Sudama. Sudama was Krishna's boyhood friend. And the story goes, as I remember it, which is probably only partially correct, that one day, Krishna and Sudama, they were out with the cows, because Krishna was a cow herd boy. And they were out with the cows, and it started to rain, and they took shelter in a tree. And lying on the branches of the tree, they fell asleep. Sudama woke up, and he was hungry, so he ate his lunch. But he was still hungry, and Krishna was sleeping, so he stole Krishna's lunch. He ate Krishna's lunch which is not the best thing to do. You don't eat God's lunch without his permission, you know. <laughs> so, but Krishna woke up and he never said anything about it. But because of that selfish karma, later on in life, Sudama became blind and poor and he lived in a little shack with his family and he was, they were all suffering terribly. And Sudama's wife kept ragging on him and said, you know, Krishna is a king now, you know, you grew up with him, go see him, he'll help us, ask us for help. And, and you know, Sudama didn't want to go, he was so, you know, he's like a very poor man, and Krishna's a big king now. But his wife basically gave him some parched rice, which is a very, very simple thing, very simple food, poor food, and sent him to see Krishna. Don't come back until you've seen Krishna and ask him to help us. So Sudama makes his way to the, to the palace. I think in Dwarka it was. He sits out front with the beggars. And Krishna comes out of the palace and is walking down the row of beggars. And he sees Sudama and he says, Sudama, I can't believe you've come. This is so great. I, after all these years, come with me. Come inside. Let's have something to eat. I'll show you around. And they spent the afternoon together, and at one point Krishna says to Sudama, did you bring me anything from home? Anything at all? You know, like, what? and he says, and Sudama was ashamed, so he didn't bring out the rice, right? And Krishna says, what do you have there? What do you have? And he, you have, oh, we used to eat this when we were kids. This is so great. And he ate the rice. So then after a while, Krishna says, you know, I have to go do my stuff now. You know, I'm a king. I don't have a lot of free time. So... But, so you have to leave now, but come again. Come again anytime. I'd love to see you. So Sudama leaves, and being blind, he makes his way back to the village where he lived, and he's walking down the lane to his house, and he's feeling next to him, which was this rickety old fence made of brambles, right? And he's pushing against something hard and smooth, and he's thinking, what is this? You know, this is my house. This is my the way to home. This I don't remember this. this is, and he keeps, 
and he comes to the gate, which was this old rickety wood gate, and there's this solid metal thing there. And he's just standing there and said, what's going on? And his wife and kids come running out, and his wife said, oh, look, you must have asked Krishna for help. Look what he did. He turned our hut into a palace. Look at the story with Maharaji and Sudama. He was lost. He was feeling lost and afraid and separated from Maharaji. And at the last moment, he felt everything came back to him. Maharaji gave him that name, you understand? Yeah. yeah. Well, he knew what was going to happen. He knew what he was doing. Don't think he doesn't know what he's doing. Yeah, I understand. I appreciate that story. Yeah, it's it's something else. Uh, one thing I one thing I do regret is that that young Baba who we brought to America, he said to me, "You take care of his son, Sudama's son." And I was I was too shy to reach out to him. And then one day I was on the subway in the city. I hadn't met I met when he was a little kid. I was on, on the subway in the city, and I swear to you, his son Jesse was on that train, because his son used to quit, used to cut school and go do and do draw on, uh, do do graffiti on walls in the city. And I looked at this kid; he was about 16, and he had a backpack, and I saw it was filled with those bottles of paint, and. You know, I was on a subway car in New York City, and I really wanted to say, Jesse? But I didn't say it. And he got off at the next car, and he was dead within a month. Hmm. I had a chance to, to, to contact him, and I didn't do it. Did he see you? Yeah, he saw me. I had a feeling he recognized me, but like I said, you know, People in subway cars don't look at each other in New York. You know? Yeah, I know. <laughs> I know. If you can remember subways. Yeah. Wow. So Maharaji, think about Maharaji behind all those, all those many different things that happened. He, yeah. He knew the past. He knew the future. And everything he did was designed to relieve suffering in the best possible way for everybody involved. So even Jesse had to die, the boy. Yeah. And, I, and there was nothing I could do. Yeah, I appreciate you explaining that remark that he made about it being perfect too, because that, that was really something that I was hung up on and not understanding. And in itself, admittedly, I don't know. Like, I, I don't feel, I know this probably is the oddest thing that you're going to, you've heard, but maybe it's not, but. I doubt it. <laughs> but. It, I don't feel a super attachment to Maharaji per se. I find it more to like Ramdas's teachings, which obviously are from Maharaji. And, and but you know, same thing with Hanuman. I, I I don't know if I necessarily feel that attachment. I I definitely love. I'm like I said, I need a direction big time on my path, uh, and and I wouldn't be here today in the condition that I'm in, which is, you know, much better than I would have been otherwise had having not been able to find Rondas and yourself and from everyone to, you know, even the Zach Learys and every, everybody else has been really instrumental for me. 
but there are those things that I get caught up on. And, uh, you know, I, I guess, have, have you had anybody that's made that remark too about not really having? Yeah, when you say attached, you, you mean attracted, really. You're not attracted to. That's okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Those are just outer forms anyway. They're all the forms of your, of your own true self. So I think you're also not attracted to your true self. You're thinking a lot. And you're identified with your thoughts. You're identified with all these stories you tell yourself about yourself, about what yeah. you think and what you believe. And you seem to be very involved with that level of being. So that's, that's life, you know. Sooner or later, you're going to get fed up with trying to think about things. And you're going to want to let go of those thoughts. And that's when you'll start doing some practice. Or yeah. that's when you'll dedicate more of your, you'll be more sincerely doing the practice. So yeah, whatever, it's up to you. It's no problem. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I hear that because my, my practice is lacking in the way, you know, in, in reciting the Chalisa and that kind of stuff. That's, that's lacking. Constant repetition of God's name, even without feelings of devotion. In anger or in lethargy, brings out his grace. Yeah. He said that. That's what he said. So you're in that category, even without feelings of devotion. He was covering you. <laughs> <laughs> Whew, that's a good thing. <laughs> so once this is understood, that the constant repetition of the name will bring out that grace from within, then you start to really go for it. Right now, you don't really believe it, it, it's almost like uh, there's no room for any non-believing or non-trusting of yeah. his presence and stuff like that. Once this is realized, when you, when you have that experience from within, that, then, then there's no room for any... Non-presence. Well, more, it's more like misgivings is like doubt, really. It's more like doubt. I so anyway, that, that should, you should write that on your wall. You should write that on the bathroom. You should write it on your mirror. It's, yeah. it's already on <laughs> yeah. a note on my phone. It should be your mantra for a while until you kind of, it, until it clicks something inside of your head. Because right now, your thoughts are eating you up alive. Which is, most of us, where it's where we live. So, in order, right. to free, in order to free yourself of that, first of all, you have to believe you can be free of that. Mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. Which is another thing. Mm -hmm. once, once you realize you can be freed of that. Then you go, oh, what do I have? How do I do that? And this is can how. be can be freed of my thoughts. You're no, saying freed of being eaten alive by your thoughts. Everybody has thoughts. You don't stop your thoughts. Yeah, no, I meant those thoughts. Yeah, any yeah. thoughts. You don't stop them. They come there, but you don't believe them necessarily. And you mean specifically the attachment to the self, more so? Or am I getting too caught up and distracted by it? Let's just keep it simple. Right now, you believe everything you think. Mm -hmm. And your center of gravity is on that level of thinking. In order for that center of gravity to deepen, you have to do some practice to train yourself to let go of thought and emotion and come back to the breath or the name but right now, you're not, you're not even sure what practice is for, ultimately, really. You haven't had that experience of, of doing a practice and feeling what happens when you do.
do it right and do it well with with sincerity and wholeheartedness so mm. this is a good this is a good thing to keep rattling around your brain this saying and, and okay. you'll think about it and one day it'll go oh wow yeah right and then things will change awesome fantastic thanks so much Katie. i really appreciate it take care thank you Thank you, Krishna Das. I mean, first of all, I want to express my gratitude. I was in the shift course. And oh, yeah, it's been really impactful. And my question has to do with something that you said there. And, you know, I have it in big letters in my notebook. Love ah. everyone, serve everyone, and remember God. Yeah. Um, and the, yeah. yeah. So the situation that I'm dealing with is we put my mom in a retirement home last week. And we, as me and my brother, she has dementia. She was living in this beautiful mansion. She has private carers. My brother and I were her first line support and we got exhausted. So we put her there and she's, she's been having such a hard time. There's moments where she's clear and she understands why she's there. But then there's moments where she's just calling me, please take me home. And her suffering is, you know, it's breaking my heart. And I felt really guilty since that happened. And I've been wondering, it's a little bit related to Justin's question, you know, about right action and suffering and which choices do you make? Because the choice that my brother and I made, the impact is that she suffers more than she would if she were at home, which is an impossible situation. So that's, yeah, that's my question yeah. and my dilemma. Yeah, my father had Alzheimer's and finally huh? his wife couldn't do it anymore. She was getting sick. Her immune system crashed. She had, mm. had an infection in the heart, uh, the lining of the heart. So she had to put him in a, in a home. Mm. And there were times when he, he would say, get me out of here. Yeah. But most of the time, 95% of the time, he didn't know where he was in the first place. Uh, it's, it's the way it is, you know, you can't kill yourself. There's no benefit to her really in the long run to be home if it's killing you. Mm. She wouldn't want that really, but she doesn't have her wits about her, so she's not able to make a, a decision based on what's best for everybody. Mm. One thing I can tell you about care places is that you need to have an ad advocate there as much as possible. Mm -hmm. Because they need to be kept on on the the help the the care workers need to be held accountable for what they do, mm -hmm. and they they they'll do as little as they can for the most part. So you have to be there to advocate for her as much as possible. Mm -hmm. So your work is not over, but at least you, you and your brother won't be destroyed by the situation. What good is that? Yeah. You know. You made it the best decision you could make, and so it's not easy, for sure. It's not easy. Yeah, I was just, I was also wondering from the perspective of karma, you know, what, what am I creating? Yeah. Yeah. Nobody knows. We don't know what that means. Yeah. yeah. All we know is what we're feeling right now, and you just, mm -hmm. you'd made a decision based what you felt you had to do. So mm -hmm. you will also live with the karma of that decision, whatever it is, good or bad, or neutral. Mm -hmm. You know, there's no sense worrying about it. You did what you had to do, and, and that's that. So okay. there's no sense 
bringing up the past which is gone and trying to chew on it mm. until you ruin your teeth. Yeah. You know, it happened, let it happen. Now the future, what's the best we can mm. do now? So just try to be, do the best you can now also. That's all. It's no big deal. Okay. Namaste. How are you? Very good. This goes back to one of your Chai and Chat program earlier, actually. In one of the sessions, you actually mentioned this book, uh, The Yoga of Mahat, uh, Bhagavad Gita by Krishna Prem. Yeah. I can't really thank you enough. Uh, and I'm so grateful for mentioning that. Yeah, it's a great book. Yeah. So my question is part of that. You know, in your search, when I hear about your story and when I, you know, read about it, there is a sense of longing. But, you know, a journey to search, you know, finding, looking up. So did you feel or are you grateful or thankful that you have stumbled across some books that really changed? Oh, yeah, this? very much. And uh, if you could uh, share them, I, I just want to know what they are like. And yeah, Gospel of Ramakrishna and Autobiography of a Yogi were game changers for me, both. I read them at the very beginning of my interest in this. And then just a little later, this book, the Yoga of the Bhagavat Gita by Sri Krishna Prem. Ramdas read that out every day out loud. At, we were up in the mountains on a long retreat yep. in the winter of 68, 69, or 69, 70, maybe. And every day we'd read out from that book. It was life changing. Yeah. Yeah, it is phenomenal. The book is phenomenal. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, the second part of my question is uh, every time you mention your Guruji, Maharaji, I see a sense of longing. It feels like, I don't know what it felt for you like, but the only thing I can closely imagine is like the poetry of Rumi, yeah. you know, where I feel the longing. Yeah, yeah. So what was it really like to be in his presence in silence? <laughs> you know, how much are you really expressing that out in the form of chanting or through words? What was it really like? Everybody had their own experience of him, every single person, because he, was, he wasn't a teacher, he was a siddha is a siddha and he for each person he showed them and gave them just what they needed so for some he was this for some he was that for me he was like someone who just loved me in a way i could never even imagine existed you know and obviously knew everything about me and still loved me which was a big thing never judged me always blessed me and and saved my life so many times Thank you, Krishna. Yeah, read the books about them and you'll have your own experience. Thank you. Yeah. Namaste, Krishna Ji. Thank you for everything you do. I grew up in Mumbai, but I live in San Francisco. And we never practiced um, yoga growing up in India, but I've been practicing Hatha Yoga in San Francisco. Like and a good Westerner. <laughs> I know. You have to come to the West to learn about the East. Yeah, yeah. But I, I study under Stephanie Snyder, and she always starts the class with a chant. So that's, that's the only thing I knew about it. And only in uh, in last one year, I become really f knew more about the concept of kirtan and chanting, and to a point where I want to start practicing, like having a formal like practice around chanting. And I'm really kind of struggling, like how do I start with that? Where do you start? Do you have any recommendation for? like a good process to start, like doing the morning or evening or start with a certain prayer or a certain time? 
No, I don't have any advice for that. Okay. My advice is to do what you feel like doing. Okay. Start with the prayers that you like. Yeah. And the field, you know, find your own way into it. That's, that's, that's the whole thing. You can sing along with the chant with the records, the CDs, if you like, or on the iPod or whatever. The idea is to just do it, is to be repeating the name. That's the important thing. In whatever way you can, as often as you can, with as much sincerity as you can. Okay. Constant repetition of God's name. <laughs> Even without feelings of devotion. You see, we're not, it's not our job to feel devotion. It's our job to repeat the name. In anger or lethargy, that brings out his grace. Once we recognize this, then everything changes. Right now we don't believe, we hope maybe it'll work. And so we do a little practice and we go back to the TV or whatever. But at some point, you, you kind of begin to really understand that this practice of the repetition of the name is going to completely change your life and, and, and open yourself up to new things. And once you recognize that, then you really go for it. So the point is, you have to overcome those vasanas in the mind to do it. Because there's a million reasons not to do it. So you have to get through that. It's like breaking through a forest. You have to, you know, you have to, because the tendency to tamas is unbelievable or rajas, and, and not to get to pay attention and do some practice. It's a very difficult thing. They also, they also practice some sort of asanas, or, or, or rotate between asanas and chanting? I do asanas every day. Okay. I, I'm 90 years old. I want to be able to sit up straight. <laughs> so, but asanas are for the body. I don't, people make all kinds of claims about asanas. Hatha yoga practice was actually to purify the nadis and open up the inner channels. It's not even a physical exercise the way we do it in the West. But it is good for the body, and pranayama is good for the body, and also for the, to try to open up those channels for the flow of energy and for the pran to circulate, because pran is the mind also. So if it's circulating without, without uh, blockage, and there's peace and calmness and depth. But it takes time. It takes time. But the repetition of the name is the powerful is the most powerful practice. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. Hi, Krishna Das. Hi. My question really is about my work. I felt quite quite dissatisfied with my work, which was in sales for the last few decades and before that, I worked as a dance therapist. And then, when I worked as a dance therapist, my sister died, and she died a bit of a traumatic death. And somehow, I kind of took it personally in a big way, and I felt I can't do my work, I know nothing. Like her death has kind of shook me up so much that I thought, what do I even know if I can't help her? And recently, a few people have come into my life who said, oh, I talked to you a year ago and it really helped me. And it's really surprising because now I've done this course with you and 
I'm opening up more. And so there's some information coming from the universe about that there's actually something I could I could give it a shot and you know like it's about me uh, everything's about me the movie of me and what is the safest way to make money and there's also my heart where I'm feeling is there something where I can help others and would that make me also happy and why not go back to that time where I was so shaken up and actually deal with it why do I think I have to know everything if I work with people? Well, there probably won't come a time that you know everything. There's no one that you need to ask these questions to, except yourself. The only answers that you need are, have to come from you. There's no shortcut there. You have to listen to your own heart about what you want to do and what you need to do. And then you have to have the courage to go do it, if that's what it takes. Sometimes if you find something that you really feel like doing, you just go ahead and do it and it doesn't feel like a big deal. But as far as helping other people, that's tricky. We can wish other people well but really, one should not get identified with being somebody who helps other people. It's a slippery slope. You know, we have enough of our own issues to deal with before trying to take on other people's issues. So if there's something you can share with people that helps them take care of themselves, well, that's great. But don't try to become somebody who has answers for other people when we don't know who the hell we are in the first place. You know? So, I think, you know, once again, it's really up to you. I mean, you have to process all this, these changes in your life and, and how you feel about things and, and the trauma that you went through when your sister died and the effect that had on you. I think you have to still release some of that those issues around that, you know, and get some a little bit more peace of heart about it all. And then I think you'll feel better about whatever you do. You can remember God while you're selling uh, perfume. <laughs> it's God selling. How did you know? How did you know? <laughs> I don't know. It's it's God selling God to perfume. I'm selling perfume. <laughs> oh, you really? Are? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Oh, I got lucky. But, you know, it's up, all you need to do is remember God. Repeat the name all day long. Everybody who comes to you, yeah, here, you like this? Here, try a little of this. Ram, 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 going on inside. And then you're, you're helping somebody not, not only smell better, but feel better. Because the vibration is, is, is including them. Yeah. And you're not making a big ego trip about being somebody who helps other people which will eventually weigh you down and bury you. Mm, mm. I think there's also a bit of a problem with me because I speak normally German, and so now I'm trying to express myself in English. Mm. I wasn't really so hung up about helping others. I huh. was more hung up about 
shying away from a challenge and taking the easy path, a bit like the lazy path. That's so that German. was my German. concern. <laughs> wanted, wanted, to, wanted to take the hard path. <laughs> yeah, let's take the hard path. Why should I make my life easy? <laughs> God forbid I should have a little peace. <laughs> no, I mean, okay, great, yes, yeah. But I mean, like, also, my parents, of course, discouraging me to do anything which would make me more powerful than them. Ah. So there's a lot of subtext and mm. na narcissism. And then the children being kept low, mm. being pushed down, and me wanting to naturally grow mm -hmm. instead of instead of shying away out of fear. You know, so these things I I think also it's good to be playful, mm -hmm. and I, I take to heart what you said. Uh, I I want to let that sink in. I'm very yes. grateful. Thank you. Take your time. Be at ease. You know. You don't have to figure this out, this life. <laughs> Just take it easy. Okay. Be, be at ease of heart. Okay? Take care. Thank you very much. My question is, I have a very, very dear friend. We've been friends for... 30 years. She's like a family member, really, at this point, more than a friend. And she's always been a little bit on the fringe, both of society and in what she believes. She's been a big conspiracy theorist as long as I've known her. And for the most part, they're pretty harmless. You know, things like the government puts fluoride in the water as a mind control for all of us, you know, things like that. And you can just sort of ignore it and move on. But since all of this has been happening, she's kind of really gone down the rabbit hole and thinks that, you know, the, all of the coronavirus stuff is being totally blown out of proportion. We're being lied to. She won't wear a mask. And so I have a lot of anger. I know I can't control what she thinks and what she believes. And I know I can only control my reaction to it. We were able to have a big talk last week and I, you know, did tell her, you know, my frustrations and that I'm sad and frustrated that she's going this direction. But I am still struggling with feeling angry with her and I'm not quite sure how to get over it. I have the feeling the answer is going to be constant repetition of the name. <laughs> <laughs> Well, that's the answer for everything, but yes. it's hard to do that. Um, I'm not sure why you're angry. You know, anger is, anger seems to come from fear. I think it might be a part of you that is, in your interactions with her, you might, there might be a lot of fear around her, her craziness, you know, that you really can't talk to her. You, she, she doesn't hear you. You can't really reason with a person who's locked into that, that worldview. So there might be some fear there around that. So you get angry as a defense mechanism. So you need to soften that with love. That's all. And 
sit down and recognize that you love this person, surround them with love in your in your mind and 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 when you notice that you're that you're starting to judge and you know up, 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 up. and then you're also when you do that you're also calming your own heart down at that point too which is very useful because we get angry at people because they're not doing what we want them to do <laughs> yeah well well really what you know who said they're supposed to let them be who they are but they don't we don't have to get destroyed by it ourselves so yeah there's a lot of people who have those uh, beliefs these days and the the isolation and the the general level of fear and anxiety in the world is huge it's everywhere everywhere you look there's nothing but fear and anxiety so it brings out the worst in 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 people who are already halfway there so to speak so you know, wish her well in your heart. That's all you can do. And then wish yourself well that you shouldn't be affected by that, by yeah. the fear. And, and the, the un, the, I'm missing a word there, but by the fear that you have about her being so illogical and so unable to be reasonable in your eyes. So just try to forgive her for her craziness and let, you know, let her be her and you be you. Yes. Thank okay. you. That's very helpful. Thank you. Okay. Take care. You too. Hi, Katie. Hey, how are you doing? I'm great. How are you? Very good. I have two questions because I'm reading through the miracle of love with my highlighter and just loving it. <laughs> so one of my questions is, someone already asked it actually, about just to be in the presence of a being like that, of like a being like Maharaji, and what, what was was there was there, first of all, was there like a realization of oh my goodness, this is like unbelievable, almost like I can't believe what I'm witnessing right now. Was there one thing in particular that, in your own experience, when you were around Maharaji, even if it was knowing that he was in two places at one time, that just blew you away? That was like because I've been trying to imagine how would it even feel to be in a present in the presence of someone like that. So that's the first, the first question. The other question is a bit more nosy. When I'm reading through the miracle of love, I'm trying to imagine, was there one, was, were any or a number of these shares from you in, that, in the miracle of love book? No, I'm actually not in that book. Uh, oh, wow. Okay. Ra- Ram Das and I were angry at each other, so he didn't ask me to, <laughs> to participate. Wow. Okay. No, we went through a lot of years together before. We didn't speak for about 10 years. Oh, wow. Yeah, I've been reading some of them thinking, I wonder if that one was KD. I wonder if that one was KD. <laughs> I don't think my mother's story is in there, is it? Maybe somebody I haven't else, finished it. Somebody I haven't else finished told it. it. I'm not sure, but yeah. So I, I don't think I'm in there. Could be, but I'm not sure. I don't think right. So. The real feeling, that for all of us, I think, basically, the feeling of being with Maharaji was having come home, you know. Wow, we're home. We're we're right where we belong. This is, you know, it's something your heart just kind of goes, oh, right. And you're just where you want to be, where you're always where you wanted to be. You don't feel like there's anything to do, any place to go, and you you also feel like you're going to be there forever, which physically didn't happen. Heartfully, it did happen. That's that's our home base. All of us who were there, 
and everybody who he touches, and he touches everybody or anybody. He's not just, just because he's not physically present doesn't mean, probably not physically present, doesn't mean that he's not touching people. When you're reading about him, he's there. He said, when you think of me, I come. He said that. He doesn't lie. He talks the truth. When you think of me, I come. So when you're reading about him and feeling, you're feeling him. But you don't believe that. It's very hard to actually go like, oh, because you expect bells and whistles to go off and, you know, and the rainbows to appear and trumpets to blare in space, you know. But it's not like that. It's the simple, sweet presence. It's presence. It's being, you already know what it is. And that just gets deeper. And uh, for you, in your young, in your early 20s or your late 20s, whenever it was, you were there with him, meeting him, or being around him for the first time in India. What, what was the, was there one thing that was, that you remember your first memory of, wow, this is like, almost like more than the feeling, but also the seeing as well? Well, you know, I had been hanging out with Ramdas for about a year and a half before I went to India. And I felt Maharaji all the time. He was huge. He was everywhere. He was like the sky, everywhere. Mm-hmm. When I first walked into the room where his physical body was, I was like, what is this? <laughs> How does all that fit in this body? It was very, it took a total, it was, it was like, what? How, how could this be? You know, I mean, how does this work? It was a shock to see him physically alive. And, and because I was feeling him in New York and California and New Mexico. Mm-hmm. So what is this guy? Well, who is this? You know, really, it was like that for about a minute. And then, <laughs> then I was gone into the whole thing. I totally lost it. So, But that was the first moment I saw him. I was like, wow. How does this work? <laughs> How is he everywhere if he's here? It was interesting. Wow. Well, thank you so, so much just okay. for all that you do. Thank you so much. Okay. My question is... You have to look at me. <laughs> when, you know, when we get sick, we go to a scientific yogi. We call a doctor. Mm-hmm. And the doctor prescribes this perhaps antibiotics for a certain amount of weeks and a certain amount of uh, repetitions that we have to do and can guarantee results. So we do it with a religious mindset. So from every book I've ever read, all yogis usually go go down and say to do the constant repetition of the name. So what I would like to know is uh, your highest level of knowledge in the why of the constant repetition of the name. name. Why to repeat the name constantly? Yeah. Underneath your thoughts and underneath your emotions, underneath everything you see and feel and touch and taste and smell, there is presence, being, awareness. And the expression of this awareness is the name of God, because that awareness is God. So the name is a way of starting to focus on that presence or on that beingness.
ness or even love that lives within us as who we truly are. So that's why it's very difficult for us to actually, when, when constant repetition of the name is happening, we're actually not doing it anymore. We've actually tuned into a, an atmosphere, so to speak, or a, a vibration around our true nature. These names are the names of our true nature, our soul. And so, according to our personalities and our likes and dislikes and our karmas, one or other of the names will be resonating within us already. So it's a question of uncovering that place within us where that's going on or tuning to that place within us where that's already going on. The real name can never be spoken. It's beyond words and concepts. It's beyond vibrations. St. John of the Cross wrote that in the beginning, the Father uttered one word. That word is his Son. And he goes on uttering him forever, in everlasting silence. And it is in silence that the heart must hear. This silence is the true name, its true being. So the names that we repeat are, like Maharaj used to say, go ahead, repeat your lying Ram Ram. One of these days you'll get it right once, boom, that's it. So. We're, we're practicing, we're trying to tune ourselves to this place within us that is who we are already in there, so to speak, in there. So that's why they talk about the constant repetition of the name. How does that sound? Nice. So it's in accordance with our natural order of the universe. So to speak. Last thing, I just wanted to relate, I'm a programmer. A computer programmer. Oh, okay. And I learned about how electrons control the light that turns on and off the pr programs. Mm -hmm. So, to me, I've been repeating Ram's name for a while, and what came to me is uh, Ram is actually an order of electrons that actually go to your brain and heal everything in a in a natural order according to what really exists out in nature. You could say that, sure. You could say that. It's, a, there's a lot of ways to describe it with the situation and, or the, 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 the path really. And whatever works for you is the best thing. But that's a, that's a nice one. Thanks. And I appreciate your time. Thank you so much. That's all I had. Okay. Bye-bye. Ram. Well, thanks for coming and hanging out, for sure. And I appreciate everything. And constant repetition of God's name, even without feelings of devotion. See, it's okay not to feel anything when you do it, because you're looking for one feeling, but it's really something else. So, but... Without doing it, nothing will happen. So a constant repetition of God's name, even without feelings of devotion, in anger, 
or lethargy or whatever else you're feeling, the repetition will bring out the grace from within. So, we'll see you next week. Let's see what happens. <laughs> Namaste. Thank you so much for listening. This podcast has been brought to you by the Kirtanmala Foundation. Krishnadas is renowned for leading Kirtan, the spiritual practice of chanting, and workshops around the world. For more information about him, including upcoming events, please visit krishnadas.com. K-R-I-S-H-N-A-D-A-S.com. We also invite you to visit kirtanwalafoundation.org. K-I-R-T-A-N-W-A-L-L-A-H foundation.org. Here you will find more offerings dedicated to spreading the teachings of Neem Karoli Baba. Love everyone, serve everyone. Remember God. Ram Ram.